Welcome to the Sunday Morning Podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Worthing. This message is by Andrew Boyd. Well, God is so good. Why have I asked Kai to tinkle away in the background there? It's because most of what I'm going to be doing here is reading scripture. Is that all right? There are some amazing scriptures. We had a great prayer meeting earlier and we were reading some of those out. It's Advent. And Advent means the King is coming. And we celebrate in two directions. We celebrate the one who was and who is and who is to come. We celebrate, we look back to that first Christmas where the King came as a baby, as a refugee of questionable, as some people would have thought, parentage, where a king tried to slaughter him by slaughtering all the children. He survived all of that. He came. He came knowing what, it would, what he would face, knowing what would happen to him. He came willingly because his name is Emmanuel, God with us. Not a God who kept a distance, but a God who saw and who loved and who came and engaged and who loved and showed us how to live and laid down his life for us so that we can live, so that we can have eternal life and then rose. That's the first one. That's the Christmas. That's the story of Jesus, the one who was. And now we hold him in our hearts, yeah? He is the God who is. He's real to us by faith. We hold him in our hearts. We know he's here. We know he's alive because we feel his life in our hearts. We feel his life in our lives. And he's the one who is to come. And when he comes again, it won't be like the first time. It won't be a refugee. It won't be a little baby. It'll be the king of kings coming in glory and every eye will see. There'll be no question. There'll be no doubt. There'll be no issue of, well, maybe that's him over there or maybe that's him over there. No, it'll be like lightning. The whole earth will see the coming king. So at Advent, we're caught in this place of the God who was Jesus who came, the God who is, who lives with us now, and the glorious King who is coming, the great hope that we hold in our hearts. Thank you, Lord God. Now, I'm a big picture person. I love to see the whole big picture, the whole spread of what God is doing. So I'm going to take us, as I love to do, all the way from Genesis to Revelation. Is that all right? And I've got to do it. Yeah, thank you, Janet. You keep my time for me. We're going to start, okay, the, the huge big picture here. We're going to start with God's covenant with Abraham. So we begin about 2000 BC. These dates are approximate, folks. You try looking it up in the, in the, in the various commentaries and people have got all kinds of dates on them. About 2000 BC, God took a man whose name was Abraham. And he said, I'm going to change you. I've chosen you and I'm going to change your name to Abraham 
because you are going to be the father of nations, not just one nation. God's heart has never been for a single small nation, but he always starts small. He starts with whoever is willing. He started with 12 disciples. He'll start with anybody who's willing and he goes large. We've got a God who goes large, who wants to go large in your lives. So this is what God said to Abraham, and this is his covenant. And do you know that this covenant has never been abolished? This covenant still stands. It stands for all of humanity for all time, providing you are a person of faith. Because Abraham was a father of faith. And the Lord calls us to place our faith in the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. If today you wonder, Jesus, are you in my life? Are you outside my life? I'm not absolutely sure. I've never actually said anything. I've just kind of assumed. Well, then today is the day when you can take your faith and place it in his hands. So that today, Advent can be really special for you. Today can be the day when you say in your heart, come, Lord Jesus, into my life. And he will come because he is faithful. I would just love you to, to, to finish this morning with a sense of God's amazing faithfulness to the whole of humanity, to the whole of human history, and to you in particular. He has us all in the palm of his hand. And he has you in the palm of his hand if you place yourself there. That's all you have to do. Christian message is so simple. It's trust. Just trust him. Just trust him. So this is what God said to Abraham. As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. This covenant still stands. And do you know what that means for you? How many people in this room have got children? Have you heard what God has spoken over your children just now? Did you hear that? That he is faithful to the person who places their faith in his hands, to your descendants forever. Do you hear that? To your descendants forever, the ones you hold in your heart, the ones you pray for, the ones you sometimes wonder, will they ever, will they ever? God's promise, this covenant with Abraham is his covenant to you, person of faith, to your descendants forever. So can we just take hold of that now? Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to me. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to my children. Thank you for your faithfulness to my children's children, that you have proclaimed a covenant to them because I have placed my trust in you. Amen. Amen. God is so good. We need to claim God's promises. We need, to, we need to rejoice in them even before we see them fulfilled. That covenant still stands. Are you blessed? Yes.
It's a good start, isn't it? It's a good start. Okay, now we started back with the covenant of Abraham. We're going to go now to 700 years BC. We're going to go to the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah caught something in his spirit and he looked ahead to the coming king, to Jesus. And he prophesied this, Isaiah 42, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. Plural, the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick, guttering candle, he will not snuff out. He is tender. He is gentle. And if you've come in here this morning feeling a little bruised, if you've come in here this morning feeling maybe your faith is guttering a little bit like a candle that might go out, listen, he's for you, not against you. He loves you. He's tender towards you. And he just wants to embrace you and sustain you. He'll shield your flame. Give him that flame and he will shield it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the Gentiles. The Gentiles are those who are not Jewish. To open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from the prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Isaiah, a Jew. Remember, Abraham wasn't a Jew. Father of nations. But then God always starts with whoever is available. So he takes a people and he says, you will be my special people. But I'm not going to, it's not just for you. It isn't just for you. This is for you to be a blessing to the nations because that's what I proclaimed over Abraham. You will be a blessing to the nations, but it won't stop with you because my heart, says the Lord in Isaiah, is that you will also be a light to those who are not Jewish. God's heart's for the whole world. But what I really want to get here is quite clearly God has not finished with the Jewish people. He has not finished with the Jewish people. His heart is still for them. And one day there is going to be a church of Jew and Gentile, Jew and non-Jew, and we will rejoice together because God has not finished with them. Okay, let's go forward in time. 500 years BC now to Malachi. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, Jewish people, the descendants of Jacob, God took Jacob, changed his name to Israel. God took Abraham, changed his name to Abraham. God changes your name and your destiny when you put your life in his hands. You are not destroyed. God does not change. He will never see his people destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and you haven't kept them. So in other words, you, there's every right just to let you go your own way and let terrible things happen. But, but return to me 
and I will return to you, says the Almighty. On the day when I act, and we heard last week from Pastor Jonathan, God acts suddenly. He does sudden things. On the day when I act, that speaks of suddenly to me, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. God's heart is continually for his people. And at that time, again, as we heard last week in Malachi, about 500 years before Jesus, 400, 500 years, there came a time where God stopped speaking. God had said all he was going to say for that time. We've heard what he said to Abraham. We've heard what he said through Isaiah. We've heard what he said to Malachi. And then there is a period of silence, which I think is a little bit like a pregnancy, which leads to a birth. And what happens now, nine months before Jesus, in Luke 1, an angel finds a girl, Mary, very special girl. And he says to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. <laughs> what was going through Mary's mind when this angel is saying this to her? But faith was rising because of her response. It wasn't fear. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus, Savior. The Savior is coming. He will be great and called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. This is over the Jewish people. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants. Jacob became Israel, the Jewish people, forever and ever. Listen, there is no doubt that Jesus' throne will be established over Israel. Do you hear that? Forever and ever is not in doubt. His kingdom will never end and his mercy extends to those who fear him. This is those who honor him, those who respect him, those who live for him from generation to generation. Listen, do you fear the Lord? in that sense of honoring him and living for him, then rejoice over God's faithfulness for the next generation of your family. This is his promise. We need to claim these promises and take hold of them. Rejoice over his faithfulness. It's not just your prayers. He's already spoken. Let's just agree with what God has said. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. God's promise to Abraham was he would be the father of nations. God reconfirmed that promise to Jacob. But it's about Israel and the nations. Israel and the nations, not either or. 
It's not one lot's finished, another lot has started. It is both. When God says forever, God means forever. Come on. Right, let's just go forward again. Eight days after the birth of Jesus. A godly man called Simeon who's just held it in his spirit that the Messiah is going to be born. He's held it in his heart by faith and he sees this baby. Extraordinary. God becomes a baby. (gasps) My eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all nations. A light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Both. Both. Okay, let's go forward. Words of Jesus in Matthew, when Jesus was about 30 years old. Matthew 8, 11. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Abraham, the father of nations. Jacob, the father of Israel. Both in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, let's just go forward again. 58 AD, about 25 years after the crucifixion of Jesus. And this is Paul. Paul, an extraordinary man. What a choice God made with Paul. A zealous Pharisee. Really knowledgeable, really on it, absolutely steeped in the scriptures, knows them back, he knows them front, he can probably recite them all, and he is determined to stamp out the church. These heretics who believe this terrible lie that God has come already, that the Messiah has come, he's going to stamp it out until the one who was and is and is to come encounters him on the road to Damascus. And this Paul, whose eyes are filled with certainty, is suddenly blinded by the light for a time. And Jesus himself says to him, Saul, because that was his name. Remember, God changes people's names when he encounters them. Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, Saul's in no doubt of the reality of the encounter that he's just had. But he is gobsmacked to realize that actually in persecuting Christians, this zealous believer is persecuting Christ the risen Christ, who is the Messiah. How extraordinary. And then God does the most extraordinary thing. You'd think God would have taken Saul, whose name now becomes Paul, and made him an apostle for the Jews. He didn't. He made him a bridge between the Jews and the Gentiles, the non-Jews. Paul, who knew The whole Jewish thing back and front knew it in every which way. This one, because his life has totally changed, he is now totally for the church. The father of the church, he reaches out to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, and he has to deal with a lie. And the lie is God has finished with the Jews and it's now the time of the Gentiles. That's the lie that Paul has to address. And he does so all over the place, but he does it in Romans 11. And he says, I ask you then, did God reject his people? 
By no means. God didn't reject his people. He foreknew them. He knew what they would be like. He knew what would happen to Jesus. He knew that they would be stiff-necked. He knew that they would refuse it, but God did not reject them. He just knew what would happen. And again I ask, did they, the Jews, stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Not remotely. Rather, because of their transgression, their wandering from the way, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make the Jews envious. And when you look at what is happening currently in Israel, you see that the, that the Jewish people are coming back to that land from across the world where they've been persecuted. And it's in countries like the Ukraine where Christians are reaching out to the Jews in those lands and they are becoming Messianic Jews, Jews who know their Christ. They're bringing Jesus with them into Israel. And that's where the conversions are taking place. At the moment, it's going to change. The word tells us it's going to change. But at the moment, the revival that's taking place amongst Jewish believers is amongst those who are coming into the nation, who have encountered Christians like you. And when they look at you, they say, what have you got? What have you got? Because I recognize it. I recognize what you've got is what I have been longing for. What you have is authentic and it's real and it's making me envious. How can I get what you have got? How can I carry what you're carrying? I've carried hope in my heart for generations, but what you have got is that hope fulfilled and realized now. Lead me to him. Lead me to my Messiah. Lead me to the King of Kings. God's doing an amazing work. Watch what God is doing. Watch what God will do because he's the one who was, who is, and who is to come. And Paul continues to say, look, it's like an olive tree. The Jews are like an olive tree. And if some of the branches have been broken off because of hardness of heart, and you, you're just like wild branches, you're just like wild trees that have been grown out there. If, if, if you, a wild olive shoot, you've just been grafted in with the others, and now you share in the nourishing sap of all of that rich heritage, of all of those covenants made to the Jewish people, you share in that now. Please don't consider yourself to be superior to them. If you do, consider this. You don't support the root. The root supports you. You are made rich because of that heritage. You are made rich because of the promises of God that have been poured out on his people. You are now a people. You were not a people, but you are now a people together with the people of God. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. Can you say full number? This is going to be important in a minute. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. Can you say all Israel? There's going to be a full number. 
of non-Jews who are going to be saved. We don't know what that number is, but there's also going to be all of Israel saved. Watch out for it. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. God does not withdraw what he gave. So Israel's current rejection of Christ does not mean Christ's eternal rejection of Israel. The day is coming when the scales are going to fall from their eyes and they will see and recognize their Messiah. And part of that process is you, people of God. They will see you and be envious. And in Romans 11, Paul is quoting multiple prophets and prophecies from the Old Testament. He does it a lot. And there's an important thing to get hold of here. He's quoting Isaiah and Jeremiah. With prophecy, there are often multiple fulfillments. Because the, the pattern of human history, history repeats itself. The purposes of God do not change. I, the Lord, do not change. So what God has spoken at the beginning is fulfilled in waves throughout history. The real mistake that the Jewish people made was that they looked at the coming king in glory and the prophecies from Isaiah of the baby born in a manger in Bethlehem, loads of them. They mixed the two together and they were expecting this coming king in glory and they missed it. They missed it because they needed to see the full counsel of God. Both are true. So when we remember Christmas, his first coming, let's also rise in faith and expectation towards his second. Okay, we're going to go forward now in history. Actually, I don't know to when, but let's just wind it forward from the book of Revelation, which was written between 68 and 96 AD, depending on who you want to believe. I don't know when it was written, and I don't know when it's written about either. But it's written about the end of human history, when the king comes back and restores his reign and his rule and his government and comes back for one unified church of Jew and Gentile and all, no denominations, folks. Forget them. We only see in part. It's all going to be stripped away. We're going to go, oh, really? Wow. <laughs> And what is it going to be like? Let's just let your hearts rise. Revelation 1. Look, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him, God's Jewish people will see him. And all the peoples on earth will mourn because of him. Why mourn? We won't be mourning, right? We're going to be rejoicing, but they're going to mourn because they go, we missed it. We really, really missed it. And God has put you on a seat now to make sure that those he's placed you with or near do not miss the opportunity to know the King of Kings. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the A and the Z and all the letters in between says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Lord Almighty, Revelation 3, I am coming soon. It was written 2,000 years ago, but in terms of human history, it's still soon.
And God's call to us, the next verse is important. It says, hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Don't get dismayed by the gap between the promise and the fulfillment. Mind the gap. Don't fall in the slats. Hold on to your faith. Keep expectant in your heart. Keep celebrating. Advent is not just about Christmas. It's about the King who's coming. Hold him in your heart. Celebrate, rejoice. Keep looking out. Look at the signs of the times. Look at what God is doing around the earth. Let's rejoice at what he's doing. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Revelation 7 describes... 144,000 from Israel in heaven, 12,000 from each of the tribes. Now, you may have your own ideas about what that means, and you might be right, and these ideas might all be different. But I just want to suggest to you a thought today, which I hope will encourage you, that along with this 144,000, the next verse talks about a great multitude nobody can count. There's a distinction here. 12,000 from every tribe. 12,000, 12,000, 12,000, 12,000, 12,000, 12,000. Not 12,001, not 10,999, not 14 and a half. 12,000 from every tribe. What is going on here? Here's a thought. Some people take the number literally. Others will say it's symbolic. If it's symbolic, then the number 12 is the number of completion. It's completion. 12 times 12 is 144. So we're talking about completion times completion times 1,000. And the number 1,000 is also about fulfillment. What the Lord is saying here, whatever else it might be, he is saying it will be exactly right. Not one will be missing. It will be complete. It will be perfect. It will be absolutely right, because that is shalom, the peace of God. Nothing missing. Nothing's haphazard. Nothing left to chance. God has his people in the palm of his hands, Exactly the right number. And those are there in heaven with a multitude. Verse 9, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. You can count 144,000, but you can't count this multitude. From every nation, not just Israel. From every tribe, not just the 12 tribes. From every people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes, which speaks of his righteousness, not ours. And they were holding palm branches. You know what a palm branch symbolizes? It symbolized to that time and that region. Victory, triumph, peace, and eternal life. A countless multitude celebrating eternal life in heaven with God, all together. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And listen, this is what it looks like. 
Revelation 21, see, we're nearly at the end of the whole book here. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. So this earth is two-thirds covered with sea. This is going to be extraordinary. And I saw, this is the great gift of God I'm about to describe. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. And when you look at the description of it, it absolutely blows your mind. Prepared as a bride, beautifully coming down out of heaven from God. This is from the hand of God. Prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. The Lord will do that with all his people. The Lord will do that with you. He is faithful. He will do it with you. His faithfulness to you is to prepare you fully. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and he will be their God and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Every tear. There will be no more death. There will be no more mourning. There will be no more crying. There will be no more pain. For the old order of things has passed away. This is Advent, folks. This is what we're looking forward to. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new, including you. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He's just saying, underline it. It's true. Write it down, remember it for all time. And then he says, those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. And sometimes that word victorious is translated those who overcome. And we read elsewhere in Revelation what it means to overcome. What is it we need to overcome? It's the world and all of its temptations and trouble and dismay. It's the flesh, which is our desire to live for ourselves in a place of greed and fear. And it's the enemy whose desire is that you do live for yourself in a place of greed and fear and keeps prodding those appetites. We overcome the world. We overcome the flesh. We overcome the devil. How? By the blood of the Lamb. Jesus has done it. He has done it for you. He's done it for you. Just receive it by faith as you receive him by faith. He's done it by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony, which means sometimes we look adversity in the face. Forgive me, Tom, you are currently adversity. We look adversity in the face and whatever that expression is saying towards me, I will declare the goodness of God. I will declare the faithfulness of God. I will declare the victory of God. I will not be intimidated. Bless you, Tom. By the word of your testimony, and by not loving their lives unto death. We don't live for ourselves. We live for the King of Kings. We live to serve him. My life is not my own. His life is my life. That's the gift I've received. And my tiny gift back to him is, well, take my life, Jesus, for what it's worth. But thank you for yours, for eternal life given to me.
And Jesus says, Revelation 22, right at the end of the book, Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they've done. Revelation 22:20 says, He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. And the reply from the heart of God's people is, Amen! Come, Lord Jesus! Come, Lord Jesus! This phrase, Come, Lord Jesus, is one of the earliest prayers of the church. The word is Maranatha. It's the Greek phrase. And you know it has two meanings. The Lord has come and come, Lord Jesus. You see, we're caught betwixt and between. That first Christmas has come, but we're waiting for the King. And we hold a longing in our hearts which just says, Lord, come, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you came, but come, Lord Jesus. And that word in the Greek is Maranatha. And when I pray, Come on, Lord, which is a rise of faith in me. I so often hear the Lord saying straight back to me, Come on, church! Or come on, Andrew! Keep asking me to do the things I keep asking you to do. Couldn't we just agree that you need to be obedient? (laughs) So there's always a call and response going on from heaven. That our hearts are, come Lord Jesus, he's saying, rise up church, rise up church, be the people you're called to be. So you'll have on your seats, hopefully, a little heart. There are things you hold in your heart. You've held them in your heart maybe for years. (coughs) Situations where we still say, come Lord Jesus. I know you're victorious, but come Lord Jesus, come, come. People I want to see saved. Situations that need to, see, need to be changed, liberated. If you haven't got a heart, if you haven't got a pen, because I'm going to ask you to write down those things on this, put your hand up and the Connect team will come over to you with a heart or a pen. Take a moment just to think of one or two situations in your life, in our lives, where we're still waiting to see the fullness of his rule and his reign, where we're waiting to see the Prince of Peace break through. Could be loved ones who still need to yield to that wonderful counselor, who still need to come to know the one who is their everlasting father, they just don't know it yet. These are the situations we already hold in our hearts. Just jot them down. And we're going to proclaim him over these situations. And we're going to do it in an unusual way. Normally as a church, we're fairly loud. How are your fingers, Kai? You all right? Good man. Normally as a church, we're fairly loud in our prayers. That's good. Nothing wrong with that. Today we're going to be silent. Which is what the early church did. Not all the time, but sometimes. So if you've written down where you, in your heart, have prayed so often, come, Lord Jesus, to this person, this situation. We're going to declare Maranatha.
And the way this was sometimes done in the early church was in complete silence, with a rhythm of breath, no other prayers, no other thoughts, no, what does it mean? Who am I talking about? Lord, Lord's heard these things, right? They're on your heart. They've been on your heart for years. He doesn't need any more explanation. What we're doing is proclaiming. Ma-ra-na-tha. Just with the rhythm of breath. Ma-ra-na-tha. Come. Lord Jesus, we're not even going to say a word, but we're going to spend two minutes in silence just breathing in and breathing out and in our mind saying, come Lord Jesus, Maranatha, and in our mind declaring, come Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus has come. So two minutes. I can see some of you are up for doing this for longer. <laughs> can you sense the presence of the Prince of Peace? You hold these in your hand and he holds you in his mighty hand. And we have declared over these situations, come. Lord Jesus. So now we're going to declare that out loud. We have the next slide, please. That's it. Okay, so on the count of three, with a voice of faith, we're going to just declare over these situations. One, two, three. Maranatha! Come on, Jesus. Thank you. Come on. Revelation eleven seventeen, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is, the one who was, and the one who is to come, because you have taken your great power and you have begun to reign. Let's rise to our feet, please. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.